chapter 12, 13, and 14, probably those chapters that uh, keep people uh, away from 1 Corinthians, and, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm young and naive enough, I'll just go right at them and we'll, we'll deal with them, and uh, I'm sure that many people come in here and uh, you've seen uh, these chapters abused, you've seen uh, the things that these chapters talk about abused, and that was, if I was going to sum up one thing in the Corinthian church, uh, you have a church that was uh, very good at abusing things. Very good at taking things out of the context in which they were meant to be kept. Very good at bringing things that were meant to be kept on the outside of the church and bringing them inside the church. The, the Corinthian church was very, very good at that. And, and, and what we see here is a big deal. The, some of these passages have been distorted, abused, um, manipulated to, to, to do some things, to bring glory and honor to man, to take the glory and honor away from our Lord and Savior, to make much of man. And, and the main reason, as you read, really chapters 12, 13, and 14 are, are Paul's response. Again, in this letter, starting in chapter 7, they've written him a letter, and, and they've asked him some questions, and, and he's heard about some things that are going on in their church, and he's responding to them. That, that's what's going on here, really, in chapter 7 on. They asked him some questions about marriage. They had some, in chapter 7, they had some issues with liberties, and he dealt with that in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Uh, they had some, some questions about the Lord's Supper. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They had some questions about head covering. I noticed Esther put hers back on today for me. Um, but, you know, they had these questions, and, and Paul's addressing them. And he had heard of some things that were going on in this church that he specifically takes the initiative to address. And one of them is the, is the tongues. And the main reason you'll see as you put chapter 12, 13, and 14 together is the purpose of these gifts were to glorify the, the, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to build up the church. They weren't about the individual. Had nothing to do with the individual. They weren't meant to glorify the individual. They weren't meant for us to become divided over it, to say, well, you have this and I have that. That's better than this. This is better than that. It, it wasn't, oh, you have a public gift. I have a private. What they were doing was abusing. They were bringing that. And then see, some of the gifts that we have were, were at that time used to reach people outside the church, not for inside the church. Specifically, tongues. Tongues is the main issue that Paul is addressing in chapters 12, 13, and 14. You look at all the different various listings of the gifts, and, and we're not to say that any one of these are exhaustive. If you want to if ever study the gifts, um, talents, those things, think of 12 and 4. 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. 4s and 12s, 4s and 12s. You, you'll look real smart if you tell people 4s and 12s. But he deals with them. And in all those, there are varying lists. The one consistent here in 1 Corinthians is tongues. Paul is trying to correct them with regards to their abuse of languages, of tongues, and how they were using it. Really, in Corinth, what the problem was is the Corinthians were, the, the battle here is over what does it mean to be spiritual. And that's been a battle throughout. You remember in, in chapter 7, they said, oh, well, I'm spiritual, I'm a Christian now, I don't want to touch anything that has to do with this world. And so they were foregoing relationships with their spouses. They, they were trying to exclude themselves. It's, it's a battle over what does it mean to be spiritual. 
And, and the Corinthians, they, as usual, they, like I said, they were bringing things from outside the church, from their pagan backgrounds, from the idols, from all of the false religions that they were involved in, all of that that they had been saved out of, and they were bringing that into the church. And, and Paul is going to be very clear here in chapters 12, 13, and 14, and he's going to make it very clear with regards to tongues, and he is going to essentially say that tongues have no business in the church. Why? Because they don't edify. They don't, make, they don't, they don't build us up. The, the reason we're here today is to build up the church, and he's going to say tongues have no point in that. He's going to make that very clear in chapter 14. And, and he's going to hold tongues up to, to prophecy. Another very, very visible, very, um, very popular thing. It would have been very public. And he's going to hold it up and he's say, look, in comparison to that, it has no point. They serve no point. And, and it will become very clear. And again, the, the Corinthians viewed spirituality as something that sort of removed them from their present existence. It took them to a higher plane. It, it kind of separated them. Paul says, no, the biblical mark of spirituality is to be able to walk through this world with perseverance, with weakness and power simultaneously. It's to walk through life. It's not to be removed and be over here. That was a pagan idea that they had brought into the church. And, and if we're honest, just like the Corinthians, we gravitate to the very, very public gifts. We gravitate to those. We, we want to be the one up here singing. We want to be the one doing solos. We want to do the things that everyone sees. We want to do the ones that make the biggest splash. And the Corinthians were just like that. We have not changed very much as people. And that's why Paul makes the point of the body, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, hey, let me explain to you how the, the body of Christ works, and let me show you with your own body. And the battle here, the battle, we want to look and sound spiritual more than we want to be spiritual, and it was the same with the Corinthians. The battle here over is what is it, what marks spirituality, what marks a, a, a Christian, what marks a person who is walking faithfully with the Lord and is spiritually mature, that's the point. There are groups today that will tell you that, hey, spirituality is seen in you being able to speak tongues or is, is certain miraculous gifts. Nowhere does Paul say that in here. And the reality is, is he destroys that idea. Spirituality is not marked by a certain gift or the lack of a certain gift. Spirituality is marked by an intimacy and an obedience and an allegiance to Christ. These gifts were given under the, uh, the authority and the sovereignty and the discretion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with you or me. It had everything to do with God saying, look, the body needs this. You do this. He equipped all of us to serve the body. It, it wasn't to divide us. It wasn't to mark spiritual maturity. It wasn't to do any of that. And, and we'll see that. And I hope you see it. Very clearly. I hope you'll see it very clearly. And, and I want one central truth. There's one central truth here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's this. Spiritual gifts, you see it on your handout. Spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit of God in order for us to glorify Christ and build up the body of Christ. Nowhere in here is it meant to make much of you. 
For whatever reason, God has me up here as your pastor, but it is to make much of him. It is to not make much of Chris. You don't follow Chris. You are following me. You're imitating me, but you're, hopefully, we're ultimately, we're following Christ. Ultimately, who you're following is Christ. Look, look at, I would encourage you sometime to go through this chapter and, and look at how many times you see the words one, the words same, and the words body throughout this chapter. And, and Paul makes it very clear that it is not about the individual, it is about the body. It is about unity. It's about the building up of us together. We need one another. That is the theme that will run through this. We need one at each other. We need each other, and we need every single one of us employing what God has gifted us to do. And, and again, the Corinthians were bringing things outside the church. They were bringing them into the church. That's the problem. The Corinthians had not made a radical break from their previous life and lifestyles and worship of false gods and their pagan backgrounds. They had not made a clean break from that, and they were bringing those philosophies, those ideologies, into the church. And it's interesting, if you do research, if you study, the false religions of that day were known for ecstatic utterances. They were known for the very things that are confusing the church today. They were known for that. And they were bringing that into the church, causing problems. And, and Paul makes it very clear. You can look throughout the New Testament. These things don't mark spirituality. They don't even mark a true disciple. Look, look with me at Matthew 7, 22. Jesus, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? He goes on to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There, there, was no, there was no relationship. You did a lot of things. Hey, you did a lot of things. No relationship. All kinds of public things, all kinds of miraculous things, no relationship. Look at 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know what Satan is real good at? Masquerading. Pretending to be a Christian. Pretending to make us think that we're believers maybe when we're not. Looking the part. He's real good at that. That word masquerading, it, it literally means to walk around behind a mask and to pretend to be somebody you're not. You know how he does that? Through, through false things. Through false things. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He goes on to say, you know what the test is? Who do they say that Jesus Christ is? Same thing that Paul holds out as the test. Many false prophets masquerading as angels of light, wanting to deceive. And, and that's exactly what Paul starts out here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says that you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. There's going to be people that look the part and make a lot of utterances. They're not real. Why? Because their testimony about Jesus is not real. And the early fundamental confession, we see this very early on, the early fundamental confession that set apart a believer was this, Jesus is Lord. To make that statement in this culture was a very, very strong statement. You know why? Because their statement was this, Caesar is Lord. And they're saying, no, 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 Jesus 
is Lord. And the point Paul is making is that tongues in and of themselves, it's not, they're not an evidence of spirituality or maturity. That's not an evidence. Even pagan worship had these things. What separates Christians from non is their testimony about Jesus Christ. And, and he's making that very clear to them. And, and again, for the, for the, for the, what Paul says here is absolute allegiance to Christ is what marks a Christian. Not the ability to perform the miraculous. It is allegiance to Christ. And, and the presence, and again, people do things publicly, and, and they can look real, real cool, and you think, man, God's Spirit must be on all over them. Not, not necessarily true. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, looking to confuse, looking to deceive. And the ultimate criteria for Paul, the ultimate criteria is this, the exaltation and the glorification of Jesus Christ. Who do they say that Jesus is? If, if you're taking the focus off of Jesus Christ and putting it somewhere else, Paul says, stop it, avoid it. However spectacular or miraculous it may appear, if it does not make much of Jesus Christ, he says, get rid of it. And the pagans of Paul's day were fascinated with this stuff. The Corinthian civilization, that community, we've seen it. They loved the great orators. They loved people who were, had a way with words. They loved people who were polished. They loved all of the public, the well-known, the, the very much out there gifts. They loved those things. They worshiped those things. And Paul says, that stuff doesn't matter at all. He says, I came to you without all that stuff. But you know what? My message was true. What separates, you can say all this flowery stuff, you can make a big bunch of noise and have all this stuff. It doesn't matter anything. What's your message? What are you saying? What are you communicating about Christ? What matters is the message. And that's why you'll see in chapter 14, Paul is going to say the problem with tongues in the church, it doesn't edify. No, you look like you're a babbling fool, he says. No one knows what you're talking about. You're just making a bunch of noise. If, if we don't know what you're saying, he's saying, what's the point? What's the point? And you're bringing outside stuff into the church. I mean, to, you can go back to Acts again. Tongues given at Pentecost, it was, a, it was an evidence to non-believers that these people were saved. They all heard their, they all heard their native language. To, they were speaking and everyone heard them in their own language. It was a miraculous sign to the unbelievers to prove what God was doing. It wasn't meant for the church. It doesn't build up the church, he says. The Word of God does. And, and so within that, within that main, within that main a truth uh, about spiritual gifts being given to glorify and build up the church, I, I want to quickly show a couple of sub-truths here, and you see them on the handouts. The first one is this. In order to, for Christ to be glorified and the body to function properly, every believer must acknowledge, must acknowledge who they are by God's design to the glory of Christ and the good of the body. You've got to acknowledge who you are by God's design, what, how God has gifted you, how God has equipped you. In, in verses 4 through 13, Paul talks about this, and, and it's interesting the spirit, the spirit is mentioned nine times in verses 1 through 11. The body is not mentioned at all. And, and what Paul is saying here is 
The Spirit of God has done this. God has done this. You haven't done this. Your gifts, your abilities, your, your ability to serve the body, how you function within the body, how you're equipped to do that, that was God's doing. God did that. God did that. It's grace. Look, look at verse 6. He says, There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. Listen, why? But to each one is given. It's given. Grace. The manifestation of the Spirit for the what? Common good. Why are you good at what you're good at? Why am I good at what I'm good at? Not to make much of Chris. It's to make much of the body. It's for the common good. I bring certain abilities and giftings to the table, not to make much of me, but for all of our good. Not just to serve me, it's for the common good. And Paul is correcting the, the prevailing attitude of pride that was in Corinth regarding the gifts. And Paul makes it clear, all the gifts come from the Spirit are by grace. And because of this, they cannot be used to mark out anyone as special or to make them more spiritual. They're by grace. It's not to, they're, they're not to set you apart. They're to bring the body together to function properly. And the reality is this, every single believer in here today has been gifted. Every believer. My responsibility, your responsibility is to discover what that gift is. And to acknowledge that it's God's doing and not our own. And in, how do we do that? We do that by giving it back over to God to His glory. I use whatever gifts God has given me to make much of Him, not me. And, and Paul makes it very clear throughout here that there is a variety of gifts. There is a wide array of, the, of ways that the Spirit has equipped. But the overarching point is this, that there is to be unity in the midst of great diversity. Unity in the midst of great diversity. We do not all have the same gifts. We have a great variety of gifts. Some can teach, some cannot. Some can sing, some cannot. Some love to serve, others don't. Some are very, very bold in evangelism, others are not. It, it doesn't mean that you don't pursue those areas or don't have to be obedient. You don't just say, well, God didn't give me the gift of service, so you better go find somebody else to help you. That's not what that means. What it means is some of us, when we hear a need, we immediately just jump on it. That, I'm kind of like that. I'll say yes and then figure out the questions. Figure out the, 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 the questions. Karen's like, did you think about this? Nope. Did you think about this? Nope. Did you think about this? Nope. I just said yes and we'll deal with that later. There's some good and bad. And with every one of us, there's strengths and weaknesses. Others can sing. You don't want me to sing. Missy did a great job singing today. That would not have been so good if that had been me. I don't think we would have worshipped very much. And the, the point is this. Diversity is essential in order for a church to be healthy. If every single one of us came in here today and we were all the same, imagine that. I mean, I hate myself a lot of times. I don't want to hate all y'all for being just like me. There's a lot of things that I can't bring to the table that I'm not good at. If we were all the same, we would be a mess. But there's, there, diversity is essential. Look at what Paul says in 4 through 6. He says there's a diversity of gifts. There, there's a lot of different gifts going on. There's a diversity of ministries. 
We're not just a one ministry church. There's a diversity of ministries. And then he goes on to say there's a diversity of effects in verse 6. But again, the same God who works all things in all persons. In, in verse nine, 8 and 9, Paul actually says it's this diversity that binds us together. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and the other the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith, and he goes on. It's, it's the diversity that binds us together. And here's what Paul is saying. Here's what he says. We need each other's wisdom. I need your wisdom. You need his wisdom. She needs your wisdom. That's why we gather. That's why we get together in small groups. That's why we talk through the Bible. That's why we meet in Bible studies. We need each other's wisdom. But, but we need each other's knowledge, he says. We need each other's knowledge. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. You know, you say, you're missing your quiet time. You're failing to grow in maturity. You're failing to grow into things of the Lord. Not only impacts you, it impacts me and every other part of the body. If one part of my body fails to mature, think about the impact that that has on my entire body. If my arms or my legs or my lungs or some other part of my body fails to develop, fails to mature... It impacts the whole body. And it's the same with the body of Christ. We need each other. But we need each other's faith, he says. We need to look around here. That's why we gather to encourage one another. Hebrews 10, it says, don't forsake the assembling together. Because what? That's an opportunity to encourage one another. We talk about what's going on throughout the week. And we see this person has faith and this person's faith. And God uses that to stir up our own faith. But we need each other's gifts. We need each other's gifts. And God has given us diversity, not in the gifts, not to create jealousy, not to create a lack of contentment, but for you to serve your purpose, for you to have the opportunity to do your role. You serve a function in the body of Christ. You're, what you're good at, the things you're passionate about, God's behind that. Why? For the body of Christ. And every single bit of this, he says, comes from the same, comes at the moment of conversion. It's not a second baptism of the Spirit. It's not, hey, when you see, meet a certain spiritual level, you get all this extra stuff. It happens at conversion. And God does it. Diversity has its roots in God Himself. That's what we need to know. The diversity that's here has its roots in God Himself. So, guess what? Your, your demeaning your gift, your failure to employ your gift, my failure. You know what I'm saying to God? You weren't wise in creating me the way you created me. That's ultimately what we're saying. You made a mistake in how you gifted me. And God's saying, I did not make a mistake. See, because God didn't have Chris in mind. He had the body of Christ in mind when he gifted us. And, and the... The, the common good, verse 7, God has graciously given these again for the common good. Not for my good, for the common good. We need each other. And, and again, there are groups who claim you have to speak in tongues, or you have to do this, or you have to do that in order to be spiritually mature. Or that you need some additional baptism of the Spirit in order to be gifted. And, and the kind of gift you have, Paul says, has no bearing on your maturity. The kind of gift you have is not an indication of your maturity. It's an indication of God's sovereignty. He has gifted you. 
Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things. Listen, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Who wills? God wills. God created you the way He created you. He gave you the gifts you have for the body of Christ. And the reality is in verses 1 through, really 1 through 14, it's the Spirit of God is the one who is emphasized, not the gift. It's the Spirit of God is emphasized. And I hope you see that. We tend to make much of the gift, or the person that has the gift. The reality is we ought to be praising the giver of the gifts, not making much of the one who has the gift. And it is a sovereign, awesome God who has made sure that His children are equipped to do what He calls them to do. That's the whole point. God has made sure that the body of Christ is equipped to do what they're called to do. Look, look at verses 12 and 13. Huge verses. And, and again, a lot of groups get this wrong and they, lead, they go off in a never-never land. He says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members... And all the members of one body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, listen, we were all baptized into one body. That's conversion. At conversion, you were baptized into the body of Christ. You were submerged into the body of Christ. He says, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. We were consumed into that at conversion and we were given these gifts and the gifts of the spirit look he says that it was to unite us it was to unite us i depend on i depend on you and you depend on me that's the unity it's not a bunch of people depending on me it's a mutuality because you have gifts that i need and i have gifts that you need and only god would do that they were meant to unite us, not divide us. And, and what this teaches is that the church is many members, but one body. And, and we tend to make it all about the gifts and not about God. We, we have made this about ourselves and not about God. We've made this to our own glory and not God's glory. And it's for our hurt. We divide over these things instead of praising God for equipping us. For allowing us to function. And at conversion, believers were united in the fact that we have been joined together in Christ's body. That's what he's teaching in 12 and 13. You were baptized into his body, if you will. You were made to be a part of the body of Christ that is the church. Through confession, through repentance of sin, through placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you've been saved, you have been placed in Him, you are with Him, and that's what baptism pictures. When you get baptized, you're, you're telling the world, I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the source of my salvation, and I am a part of Him. That's what you're saying. And all believers form one body because at conversion we were giving, given one spirit. That's the unifying. That's how the church is being built. What was invisible is now visible through the church. And, and again, we have been gifted. Here's what Paul is saying. We have been gifted. And you've got to think, just think on this for a minute. We have been gifted by God 
to be an accurate picture of Christ to a lost world and to make the body work. That's what we were gifted, to be an accurate picture of Jesus Christ, to be a picture of His body. When the world looks at us, they ought to see Jesus Christ. To make the body work right. We're not the same. We're not, we don't all share the same things. And that was not by accident. We, we might be personally the only Jesus that some people see. We need to make sure we get this right. We need to make sure that we're accurately representing Christ. It is a big deal that we remain unified in the midst of our diversity. That we understand that we are who we are by grace. We are the body of Jesus. Think that through. We are the body of Jesus. That's a big deal. Diversity, unity, our health, all go back to God's sovereignty. But does that mean we don't grow? Absolutely it does not. But God gifts us. God gifts us. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge how God has gifted you and put it to work. That's the point. Acknowledge the role that you're to play in the body of Christ. You must acknowledge that and put it to work. But secondly, he says in verses 14 through 31, that in order for Christ to be glorified in the body to function properly, every believer must embrace and submit their gifts to the glory in the body of Christ. You've got to not only acknowledge it, but you've got to embrace what God, the way God has gifted you. Embrace it, and then what do you do? You give it back to the giver. You don't use it to serve self. You give it back to the glory of the one who gave it to you. Because that was the purpose. It wasn't to make much of you. It wasn't to make people notice you or me. It was to notice Christ. To Christ. Every, what Paul is saying here in, in verses 14 and following, really through 26, he uses the illustration of a body. And here's what he's saying. Every gift is important. Every gift is important. Embrace your role. You may not be a soloist. Guess what? Embrace your role. You may, you may have to give, I, I think about this every, and I don't want to embarrass some, I, I just, names were flowing through my mind this week as I was thinking about it. Every Sunday supper, I guarantee you this, there's going to be a man by the name of Paul Pass. I don't know if Paul's even here, but I don't want to embarrass He's going to be standing at that, at that sink washing dishes. There's going to be people who just run around this place and, and get the garbage. There's going, to, there's going to be a myriad of stuff. I mean, the names just went flowing through me. And I thought, you know what, the more I name somebody, the more I'm not going to name somebody. And, but but it's, it's a picture. Embrace your role. Paul could sit there and be mad that he's not a soloist, and meanwhile, nobody does the dishes. Nobody takes out the garbage. But here's what Paul is saying. Not only embrace your role, but submit it to the building up of the body of Christ. Submit it to the building up of the body of Christ. Because here's, here, here it is. All of us, all of us serve on equally important functions. And the Corinthians are missing that. They loved the public. They loved the big out there gifts and they, they neglected the private ones. And that's why Paul says, you actually have it backwards. He makes it very clear in verses 22 and on that the less public gifts are the ones that matter the most. They're the ones doing most of the work. He says, you, you guys have it wrong. You glorify the public things to neglect of the private ones. You ought to be making much of the private ones. 
He says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And there needs to be balance. And Paul is saying here, on one point, you are one of many parts, but you are not insignificant. You are one of many, but you're not insignificant. We need to balance that. You are one of many, but that does not mean you're insignificant. I, 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 there is a lot about the body that I do not understand. When I was in the second grade, there are a lot of parts about the body where I don't understand why we have them. When I was in the second grade, uh, my appendix ruptured and I had to have them out. My question is this, why in the world do we have appendix? If I don't need it, but it serves a function. Unless you're a doctor, I, don't, I bet you can't tell me what an appendix does. But it's, fun, it's, it's important. Nobody goes around bragging about it. Man, you've got a great looking appendix. I just want to tell you that. You've got to be careful. No one knows what it does, but it serves a function. There's so many parts of our body that we don't even know exist. And every day, they're functioning to keep you alive every day, and we don't even know they're working. And guess what? God did that. And the same way in the body of Christ, we have gifts that we don't even, we, there is stuff that goes around, around around here that you would not even know exists. Why? Because people just do their role to the glory of God. You're, you're one of many, but you're not insignificant. We need all of the parts to function. But not only that, you're important but not more so than any other part. You're important, but not more so than any other part. And that's what Paul talks about in verses 21 through 24. Not, not only is there the part of saying, oh, well, I'm just a this, I'm not important. That's, that's, that's ugly. But then there's over here saying, well, I'm this, and I'm more important. And he says, no, 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 that's ugly too. That's ugly too. And he says, guess what, eyes? If you didn't have those veins that nobody sees pumping blood to you, you'd be useless. Guess what, organs? There's a lot of things going on that keep you alive as well, that allow you to do your job. Stuff that nobody sees. Everybody knows about a heart. If you want to say, hey, what part of the body do you want to be? Nobody in here would say, I think I want to be the big toe. Well, guess what? You take your big toe away, you've got to learn to walk again. Big toe forms a huge role. And that's what Paul is saying here, that every single person is needed and are important, but they're not the most important. We need each other. There is unity in diversity. I mean, we have one heart and one brain. As I wrote that, I thought it's debatable on some people. But every single person wants to be that. We all want to be that. We want to be the visible. We don't want to be the millions of parts that nobody knows about. And Paul is saying, no, yes, you do. We need the many, 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 many parts that nobody knows about. And the issue is the whole. The issue is the body. You know, us missing church, us not being involved, us just sitting in the pew and doing nothing, that's not inconsequential. The whole body suffers just like if my arms, if my arms just said, you know what, I'm taking the day off, I'm not working today. That would affect the whole body. My role affects the body. My absence affects the body. My refusal to submit my gifts affects the body. And look at verse 18, right in the middle. He says it again. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. Just as He desired. 
God has made sure that we have what we need in order to function and the, as the body of Christ. And, and we must trust that God is sovereign and has arranged everything just as he attended intended to do so he has arranged that you see that in verses 11 you see it in verses 18 you see it in verse 28 god has appointed in the church god is sovereign over this he's made sure we have what we need look at romans 12 3 he says god has apportioned to each a measure of faith god has done this he has intentionally, God has intentionally designed us so that there would be unity in the midst of diversity. No one person has all the gifts. No one person has none of the gifts. We each have gifts that force us to rely on one another to need each other in the body. That's the way God designed it. And it's man who tends to separate and, and, and disrupt unity and to glorify the gift over the giver to make one gift better than the other. Man does that. God doesn't do that. Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We rise and we fall together. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock, there's a visitation two o'clock funeral at Keystone United Methodist for Pam Malden's father. Passed away Thursday evening. Many of you have been praying. That's a big deal. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. It's a big deal. Why? Because we're unified. We need each other. In order for us to function properly, we need every believer serving its purpose. And, and that's the beauty, I think, of oftentimes of what we see here is a bunch of people just doing whatever it takes. But it has to happen in order for us to function. In order for that Sunday supper, which seems simple enough, it takes a big deal. And that's one small picture of a church. But that's why God has us here. To be the body of Christ. To make much of Him by submitting our gifts back to Him. Not using them to our glory. And, and it's not bringing the world's ideas and, and gifts that were meant to be evidences to non-believers. And we bring them in here and we make much of ourselves. Leave stuff out there that belongs out there. When we come here, we've come here to worship. And what Paul is saying is pour yourself out. He says this over and over again. We ought to pour ourselves out for the glory of God. We ought to pour ourselves out in serving not only this body of Christ, but serving the world. Look, look at Philippians 2.17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Do you see what Paul, Paul's saying? I'm pouring myself out, the gifts, the abilities, what God has given me. I'm pouring it out for your help, for your benefit, rather. I'm pouring myself out for you. And it was Christ's glory. Look, look at 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul says, why? you say, Paul, why would you do it? Because one day there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. 
that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my life here on this earth because Jesus Christ gave up his life for me. And one day, I'm trusting that Jesus is going to reward me for doing that. One day in the future, God is going to reward us for giving up our lives for his glory. We're not going to get our benefit now. We're not going to be made much of now, but we will be. Look at 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Summary verses. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. You know what he says? Each one of you, with whatever gift you have received, serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Why? To make much of Christ. So that the body will function properly. God has made sure that we have what we need to grow and to function as a body. But it requires us acknowledging it. It requires us embracing it. And it requires us submitting it back to God. So the application. Application. I I was reading um, some stuff on this chapter this week. And a guy by the name of Jim Shaddix, one of the great preachers uh, out there, he had some questions that, that I, I want to give him the credit. These are, these are from him, uh, questions to ask yourself so that you can understand, okay, how do I do this? How do I apply this? The first one is P. You, you see the word priest. We're believer priests. First one is P. What are you passionate about? You want to know how God has gifted you? Ask yourself, what am I passionate about? What are you passionate about? Go do it. R, what does my reputation say or what am I known for? What do other people say about you? What, do, do people regularly come to you and need stuff from you? Do they regularly come to you? Then you probably, people probably see you as having a gift of service. If no one ever comes to you and asks you for favors and things like that, it's probably because you don't have the gift of service. Do people regularly call you to answer a question about the Bible? Do, what, what's your reputation? That's probably the way God has gifted you. I, what intrigues you? What are you interested in? E, what do you have experience in? God does not waste experiences. God does not waste where he has brought you as far as a believer. Use those to the glory of God. S, what have I been successful in in the past? Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's you have a great business mind. Maybe a financial mind. Get involved. Help the church. What talents do I possess? And after asking all those questions, here's where it comes down to. How am I employing who I am and what I've been gifted to, with to the glory of God? Am I using the way that God has gifted me to make much of me? Or am I using the way God has gifted me with to make much of Christ? And have I taken God's sovereignty and His gifts and ran and hidden? Or have I I submitted them back? And in this body of Christ, there are irreconcilable differences that Satan wants to divide us with. It may be even over what this passage says. And what 13 and 14 say, Satan wants to divide us. But here's where we can be united on. Who is Jesus Christ? 
He's the one true God. He's the one who, who God placed all the sin of the entire world upon His shoulders and He died on the cross that whoever would call upon His name would be saved. That's our message. And we're to use whatever gifts, whatever gifts we have been given to make much of that message. Not the messenger, the message. And I pray that we would be a church that would just jump in and get it done to the glory of God. That we would just look for opportunities to serve. That we would create ministries on our own and just serve within this body. Because that's what the body needs and that's the way the body was designed. Don't seek to make much of yourself. Seek to make much of the Lord.